We're talking about crossing into covenant thinking and really seeing who God, who God really is. We are in a season of our lives where we're experiencing, some of us, vacations. We're planning those vacations. We've been saving for that. We've been planning for all of that. We have all our baseball games. We have a Dodger game tomorrow night. We have just so many things that are in our minds and the busyness. And then you turn on the TV and you see the devastation of an ideology of a specific ideology that says you are worthless unless you're like me. And I want to say to you that today I'm going to give you a message that is going to absolutely turn around your anxiousness, if there's any. If there's any fear in your life, you're going to begin to see the truth as Moses saw. Moses struggled Moses had a covenant with God, but Moses struggled. And in Psalm 86, verse 5, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. In Psalm 31, he says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Talking about here, today, in our lives, whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling, if that was you that cried out, you don't know my life, that the Holy Spirit gave Pastor Dan a word of knowledge. <clears throat> Listen to the message today. Let the revelation that Moses received again Touch your life today and let it change your thinking into covenant thinking. The Bible not only says God is good, but it tells us all the time how great his goodness is or how great his good is, which is he. Last week we talked about the rich young ruler, and I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 19, verse 16 and 17, the rich young ruler Many people have taught on this, and, and rightfully so, and great teaching, but I want to just share with you, I, I believe, the greatest revelation. We talked about it uh, last week, but I want to read this, verse 16 in Matthew 19. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Remember, we explained to you that Jesus wasn't saying that he didn't do good, wasn't saying that he wasn't good because he is God, but that the, the man came to him and measured him in equality with man. He measured God in equality with man or man in equality with God in a sense of that without God, you can do it. Without God, you, you don't need God. And Jesus was correcting him and said, said, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. So he corrects him. And, and I want you to see this is 
that in this correction, it wasn't that Jesus was mad at him and said, I'm right, you're wrong, even though that was true. God doesn't compare us to each other. Man compares each other to one another. And that's why you have the bullying. That's why you have all the things that are expressed in our lives and in our schools today. God doesn't compare us to each other because we are equal. We're equal. God has set it apart from the very beginning that man and woman are equal. But we must understand that he compares us to him. And in comparison to us, without the blood of Jesus to him, our righteousness is as of filthy rags. There is no good in us without God. But when we have God, then good can express, be expressed through us. Paul said this of himself, understanding the new covenant, the covenant that we're talking about, having covenant thinking. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find in the flesh. Because you are born again in your spirit, there is goodness in you. There is good in you. And because of that, if we would understand covenant thinking, then we would love and and submit to one another and we would honor one another. The difficulty of our generation today is that we don't know how to honor. Again, Jesus said this, trying to get all to understand new covenant thinking. Matthew 7, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, who is good, give good things to those who ask him? See, without crossing into new covenant thinking in our world today, this is the result. And we're experiencing that in our lives. We're watching that on on the TV. We're, We're looking at all the blogs and we're seeing this ideology, this false religion manifest. The unofficial religion in the United States is, again, secular humanism. Secular humanism. It teaches that man is naturally good or sets their own justice. They set what is good. In their eyes, that is what's good. And if you don't follow after my good, then you're not good. And I disagree with you and I hate you. Secular humanism. It teaches that man is the measure of all things and we don't need God. We have kicked God out of our schools. We've kicked God out of our courtrooms. One of our political stances, we we tried to kick God out of the stance of a political group. We, We save ourselves deciding what is good. So let's continue where we left off last time together. In Exodus 33, verse 3 through 5, it speaks of Israel. In Exodus 33, verses 3 through 5, it speaks of Israel, God's people. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. This is God speaking. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. (laughs) 
man, this scripture, it's kind of like, gee, God. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. From that day forward, remember this, that God and Moses fought. Why did Moses fight with God? Because God's perfect plan in Genesis was God created male and female in his image. Then male and female, this is the plan, and it still is a plan today, Male and female who were equals were to have children. They were to be fruitful and to multiply. Parents are to be, remember, the image bearers to their children, showing them who God really is. If you, did, if you were not here last week to hear my message, you need to get it. You need to get the CD, The Purposes of Parenting. Parents are to be the image bearer to their children, showing them who God really is. But oops, man fell in sin and began to decide what good is in themselves. But let me just say it this way, a little tongue twister. But good is God, and God is the only one that is good. Who God is is good. We have to really grab a hold of that. But we're going to see the, the, the revelation that Moses received. Why did Moses and Israel have such problems relating to God? The answer was that they really didn't know who God was. Remember who was Moses' father? He was Pharaoh. Basically adopted father, Pharaoh. Pharaoh tried to kill Moses twice. How'd you like to have a dad that tried to kill you a couple times? The gods that Moses studied under and learned about from birth in Egypt, there were 10 of them. These gods were impersonal, and if you, didn't, if you did anything, it wasn't good enough. Anything you did in Egypt displeased God. Talking about their gods, not our God. 24-7... They were fearful that they made God mad at them and that God was going to do something. And because Pharaoh knew that, Pharaoh would whip and Pharaoh would kill and Pharaoh would starve and Pharaoh would, would steal and all the different things just so that they would see the fear of a God. And there were 10 of them. From Israel to Moses, not one had a concept of a personal God. We're talking about covenant thinking. A God who loves you and is pleased with you. They had no concept of that. A God who helps you and a God who attends to you. Some of us in this room do not have a concept of a God like that because of the image bearers that showed us the opposite. This covenant relationship came out of himself and he is good. 
the number one reason we rebel against God is because we really don't understand who God really is. See, if you seek God the way he really is, you will never rebel again. I'm just telling you, if you really have the revelation of who God is, you will never rebel against the commandments of the Lord. When you read a verse, when you read the Bible, you will understand it, and you will not struggle to live out the truth. Because you'll know how amazing and how good your God is. And that he would never do anything to bring destruction in your life. Well, but, but, but pastor, I've... It was man's choices in that secular humanism that thought they had a better idea. That their middle name was Ford. They had a better idea. Some of you that are older know their commercial. You would run to God. You would run away from God. But how many Christians run from God in specific areas of their lives? because of the image that they have of this God in this area. See, Moses realizes he is in deep trouble. God says, I'll send you to the land I promised, but I'm going to step back. I will step back. God is saying, I am tired, listen to this, I am tired of you accusing me of having evil motives. I am good. Moses says something that changes him for eternity in, in Exodus 33, verse 18. Let's read this. Exodus 33:18 says, And Moses said, Please show me your glory. Show me who you are. I don't know who you are. I need to know who you are in the midst of the struggle that I'm feeling right now. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Show me your glory. And God says, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will tell you who I am. I will show you who I am. And that's God right now saying to you and to me, I will show you who I am if you will look towards me and get out of this secular humanism and get out of this, this religious ideology of this God that wants to kill. He's a God that wants to bring life and life more abundantly in you. Moses realizes and thinks there is something wrong in the way and he has seen God and says, show me your glory. Notice this. This is the one who was asking to see God's glory as the one who saw God in a burning bush. Moses is the same man who sees 10 miraculous judgments on Egypt, the plagues, that judged every one of Egypt's gods and said, this is not God. Moses is the same man that walked up to the Red Sea and saw the water stand up and make a path for two to three million. There's different numbers that people give, two to three million people to walk through to the other side. And not only that, Pharaoh's army tribes and the waters fell on them. 
So hilarious how this religious humanism tries to explain that away. The Red Sea, it translated the Reed Sea, that the only reason why they crossed is because the reeds were so abundant they could cross on there. Well, okay, let's take their truth, all right, that they just walked on the reeds, right? Well, it was dry, but they were dry reeds. Well, you know what the greatest miracle then was? Is that all of Egypt's army drowned in reeds. See, every time there's a truth of God's goodness and God's way and God's deliverance that this secular humanism wants to look at man and say man is better than God. Moses is the same man that says, show me your glory. And the reason that Moses is asking God to see his glory is because Moses hasn't seen it yet. According to Ezekiel 28, let me show you this. Lucifer lived in the presence of God as a worship leader in heaven. Satan had musical instruments that were created, built in him, and was a covering cherub in heaven who looked over God's throne. He gave God worship and then rebelled against God. How could he do that? Do you realize that Jesus came and walked on the earth and in the last three and a half years brought miracles and raised people from the dead? Many of the people who saw Jesus do that nailed him to the cross and took Barabbas instead because they're going to do something good to release a man who had a bad life. So they'll take Barabbas and kill and murder Jesus because they didn't see the glory of God. You see, God's power is not the essence of his glory. It is part. God's intellect and omniscience is not his glory. It is part of his glory. God's size that he has, that literally the the universe, he has the universe in the palm of his hand, is not his glory. It is part of his glory. The fullness of God's glory is that God's goodness is his glory. You can see God's power and not be changed. How could Israel see the deliverance of God? How could Israel see manna? How could Israel see the quail? How could Israel see uh, they put a stick in the middle of of the camp, and if there was sickness that tried to come upon them, they'd look upon it and they'd be healed instantly. How could Israel rebel and reject God? Because they didn't see his glory. God's powerful but it could be a big bully to you because of a wrong image that you have. God's glory is his goodness. Satan didn't see this, and that's why he fell. The children of Israel did not see his goodness, and that is why they crucified him. They saw outside acts, but didn't see God's heart. Until you see the heart of God, you will be unchanged.
when Moses sees God's glory, it is then that Moses changes. When Moses sees his goodness, it is then that Moses begins to develop and walk in this covenant thinking. When Moses sees the glory of God, which is the goodness of God, he is forever changed. In Exodus 34, verse 4, I want you to see this. Exodus 34, verse 4, here is the firsthand revelation of the goodness of God Moses receives. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children in the third and fourth generation. This is what God said about himself. When, when Moses saw God, God proclaimed who he was to him. Moses received a firsthand revelation of God and who he really is. So what I'm asking you today, and I'm going to show you what God said about himself. Take off the father filter if you need to. Take off that hurt filter if you need to. Take off that mother filter if you need to. Begin to walk in a life of understanding. When you see life, you see God's goodness because he is good. Here is God showing you himself. He is mercy, he's grace, he's long-suffering, he's goodness, he's truth, he's forgiveness, and he's justice. These are the seven things that God says he is. The first is mercy. God does not relate to us only based on what we do. God relates to us on an individual level and understands what we are going through trying to do his will. God understands you. God knows where you're at. God knows what you're facing. God knows how you're feeling. God knows every feeling that you have. He knows. He's omniscient. His omniscience is his mercy. And Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need that we have. No one is more merciful than God. He knows what you're going through. He knows your rejection. He knows your pain. He knows what, you're, what you struggle with. God is not rejecting 
and, and performance-oriented. I want to tell you, God is a wonderful, merciful God, and if you are struggling, struggle towards him. Struggle towards his mercy. If you are failing, fail towards his mercy because it will renew you. Second of all, he said, I am gracious. God is gracious. He gives everything freely that we need. Includes forgiveness and power and healing and provision and protection and authority. The devil says you need to get your act together before God accepts you. (laughs) You got to get yourself together. You got to be good before you go to the good. No. Humble yourself to God. Go to him. The only way we can get our act together is to go to him. Again, struggle towards God. When you struggle, God still loves you. Romans 8, verse 31 says this. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is gracious. When you understand God, when you think covenant, you will run to God in your worst times. God also said of himself that he's long-suffering. It means God will go through anything with you He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. His love suffers long. Here it is. When God saved you, he knew you were not a short project. Amen? Amen. You are a daughter or a son of God. You are not a short project. I've been short all my life, but I'm not a short, you know, I'm not a long project. My God shall supply all my need. My God will be there for me. My God will will be patient. My God will be long-suffering. That's who he is. He can't be anything else. He's immutable. He cannot change. That's covenant thinking. The fourth, 
is that God abounds in goodness. Means he is always good and never bad. If you think God is bad, you think God's not, not nice, that's, I'm gonna say it, not nicely. That's your problem, not his. He is always good and never bad. God is not schizophrenic either. He's not even hormonal either. He's always good. Because he's good. God is abounding in truth. Means he cannot lie. He cannot lie. God will never, ever, ever, ever deceive you. If he says in his word to do something, it will take place. It's the enemy that deceives you thinking it's not taking place. When he says to tithe, you tithe. He will open the windows of heaven. He will rebuke the devourer. He's doing that. Well, it's gotten worse. God will do it and has been doing it. But it's the enemy that deceives you. If you lay hands on a sick and they stay sick, God is your healer. He will never lie to you. And you have to believe it. He's given you the authority to take all this. But when we filter God through man's goodness, then that means that God lies and God is not always good. That's a lie. When the Lord passed through, he also said to Moses that he is forgiving. Anytime you repent, he forgives. As far as the east is from the west, I've explained that. So far as he removed our transgression from us. But the last thing he said about himself is that God is just, that he will punish the guilty. See, Satan wants you to put this first. But I want to tell you, he wants you to put justice first and mercy last. Satan wants you to think he's mean and he's awful and that you've done something that God has just ticked at you and he's going to slap you around and the reason why you have the life you have, if you don't like your life, is God's fault because he is just an awful God. God's goodness is useless if he is unwilling to defend his own nature. That's justice. To get God's justice, you must exhaust his mercy. You must exhaust his grace. You must exhaust his long-suffering. You must exhaust his goodness. You must exhaust truth. And you must exhaust forgiveness to get his justice. From that vantage point, through the first six, he judges you. If you're being judged and cry out for mercy, 
he stops judging and gives you mercy. Because Jesus Christ went to the, throne, to the cross, shed his blood, and paid your debt. Took care of your problem. Took care of your false image. Took care of everything in your life so that you may live a righteous life in his righteousness. You are hid in Christ. And when God's justice comes is when man decides man is greater or gooder than God. That is a direct revelation of who God is. I'm going to ask you to take this home, and I'm going to ask you to meditate on it. I'm going to ask you why you've made decisions that you've made. Uh, we're, we're doing wonderful. I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you're doing. But I want you to go home, and I want you to decide why do you do what you do. Until you remove the filter that keeps you from seeing this truth, it will be hard. It, you will struggle towards God, but keep struggling towards God. So let's close with what happens to Moses after finally seeing God's glory. Let's close with the revelation that, that Moses saw, that not only he was to see who God was, but what he was supposed to begin to do in his life. In Exodus 34, verse 8, it says, So Moses made haste, and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. It is not just words that we're proclaiming to you, church, regarding worship and praise. It is not just a, another idea that we have as leaders to express worship in a greater realm in the body of Christ. When you worship, when you get to the place that you don't need a song, you don't need a piano, you don't need a guitar, you don't need someone to sing with you, and you begin to worship, you worship because of the goodness of God. You don't worship because you're a Christian. You don't worship because something good's happening. You're not thankful because something good is happening. You worship and you are thankful because when you look at God, you see goodness. And there's nothing but good that comes from him. So I'm going to ask. I know you still have notes in your hand. I'm going to ask every one of you, go ahead and stand up with me if you would. When you see God with who he really is, you then begin to worship him with all of your heart. When you see God, as he proclaimed to Moses, the revelation, the straight revelation from God, when you receive a straight revelation from God, and this is what I prayed all week long, that you would see God today. Yeah, well, Pastor, I see, you would see God today. You would see the fullness of who he is. We're going to sit down in a moment, but I want us now begin to just worship the Lord in his goodness.
Let's begin to worship the Lord. Raise your hands to the Lord and just begin to shout out to the Lord. Father, you are amazing, God. You are good. We love you today. We love you. Great is our God. Great is our God. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy is our God. Oh, how good you are. You are merciful. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church, let's worship the Lord. He is good, hallelujah. If you speak in the heavenly language, begin to worship him in your heavenly language. Begin to shout to the Lord, great, holy is our God, holy is our God. Oh, Father, we love you today. Great is our Lord, hallelujah, I love you today. Everything that I am is yours, God. I give myself to you. I trust you. I honor you. I glorify your name. Oh, because of who you are. When I look at you, Father, I see good. When I I pray to you, Father, I see good. When I hear you, Father, I hear good because you are good. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, you may be seated. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 9. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people. (laughs) What's he saying? I realize, comparing me with you, God, you're good, and I'm not. Even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. You know what Moses was doing? Was proclaiming the heart of God. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, you were now adopted into the family of God. And everything that God has, everything that God is, is yours as inheritance. And that's what Moses was doing. And he now, from that time on, from that time on, saw the goodness of God. And he worshiped. He sees himself in Israel as the inheritance of God. Last statement I'm going to make, and I want you to really hear this. Our self-esteem is directly tied to how we see God. You are a daughter and a son of God. He is good. Your self-esteem, who you are, what you think about yourself— what you do, how you live your life, how you see things, how you act in your life, this is directly related to how you see God. So I'm just saying to you as your pastor, isn't it amazing? The revelation that Moses had. So I encourage you. I challenge you. I implore you to worship God on a daily basis. Turn off the radio, turn off the Christian CD for a while. I saw some of your eyes. Stop reading those blogs. Begin to read the words that God said towards you in the Bible and begin to worship him. Begin to honor. It should not be hard for us to worship. 
The reason why people cannot worship. The reason why people need a band to lead them in worship. The reason why people need to be encouraged to worship is because, not because they're bad, not because they're not good people, not because they haven't done good things, it's because they truly haven't seen the goodness of God. If you really see how good God is and who he really is, there'd be nothing, you, every single day you'd rise up early in the morning and seek him because you want to be around that good. You want to be around the amazing God that you serve, the Father, the one who loves you, the one that forgives you, one who's merciful, one who's long-suffering. He's good. And when there's correction and chastisement from him, the Bible says he chastises those that he loves because he can't do anything but love you because he is love and he loves you and, he, and he's there and he wants to just, just bury himself with you and wants to give you everything that he's got. He wants to take care of your need but you got to trust him. You got to see him who he really is. And right now, some of you might have nothing in the bank, have nothing in your pocket, barely had enough gas to get to church. Your God loves you. He'll meet your need. You must see him who he is. Get that filter of pain and anxiousness and anger and whatever it may be, remove it and see God. And I promise you, as Moses changed, you will change too. I'm proud of you, but that's nothing compared to God. God is so proud of who you are. Wherever you're at, he loves you. Let's all stand.